Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hi friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today, we're continuing our devotional study from Matthew chapter 6, and we're in the middle of studying the Sermon on the Mount from chapters 5 through 7. And yesterday, we finished up the Lord's Prayer. Today, we're looking at this idea of trusting God for our daily needs. If you're just joining the show, I would invite you to start at the beginning of this series of the book of Matthew, because I think it'll make a little bit more sense for you. But basically, what we're doing is an introduction to the Gospels, where I'm explaining some of the history and the culture and the background information that we sometimes miss as modern readers that gives so much value and richness to our study. And that's so helpful for me. And I find a lot of people really get a lot of value from that as well. So I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Again, just use whatever version you're the most comfortable with. That's the one that I prefer to use. So I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 14. It says, For if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. Now, whenever you fast, do not make a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they distort their faces so that they will be noticed by people when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But as for you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your feet so that your fasting will not be noticed by people, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. 
So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So there's a lot that we have packed into this passage, but there's a couple things that I want to point out to just give some insight as to what they would have understood this as original hearers of, of this text. Now, remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is outside of the city of Galilee. He's up on the hillside and he is teaching, discipling his disciples. And so the primary audience is, of course, believers as disciples. And so he's talking about, initially, we're going to talk about fasting. Now, the law required one fast a year. That was on the Day of Atonement. And at the Day of Atonement, they would also wear sackcloth. They would have this posture of mourning and prayer. But over time, what happened was the practice of fasting increased, and it will be used for really good reasons. Maybe it was seeking God in prayer, or perhaps mercy, or maybe it was personal repentance. And then What ended up happening is culturally, they had regular days of fasting throughout their calendar year. So fasting was a regular part of their rhythm. Some groups would fast twice a week on Monday and Thursday because Moses is said to have gone up to Mount Sinai on those days. So what here Jesus is addressing is this heart issue that we've been talking about over the last couple of days, the hypocritical hearts of the religious leaders, they were fasting but they were doing it specifically for the intention of getting recognition and attention from people. And so what he's saying is don't do it for those reasons. Just like we talked about yesterday with the prayer issue, you're doing this for an audience of one. You're doing fasting as a way to develop your spiritual maturity and your relationship with God, not to gain the attention from those around you. And, you know, we have seen this in my own family There are, or even our church, there are people that when they are fasting, the whole world knows they're fasting. And then there are other people that when they're fasting, sometimes I don't even know when my spouse is fasting, other than the fact that I see that he doesn't sit down for the family meal together. But sometimes we don't even talk about it with each other because it's an individual thing that is meant to develop your relationship with God. That's kind of what he's addressing here. And so when he says, anoint your head with oil and wash your face, he's not talking about a religious kind of anointing. He was talking about this this idea of just basically going on with your life. It was a daily part of their rhythm where they would wash their face with oil. And it's basically he's saying, wash your face, go on with your life. Don't make a big deal about it. Because again, if we're doing it to get the attention of other people, then what's the point? Because you've taken that honor and that attention away from God. In verse 19, he's talking about storing up treasures on earth. And in that culture, very similar to our culture, material wealth was very important to the people of Israel. But for them, it was even more so than ours because they saw it as a sign of God's blessing and a reward for their obedience. And so this accumulation of wealth was basically they were doing it for just the sake of wealth, but that put them in this dangerous spot. Because there was a tendency to then rely on their wealth and gain this false sense of security. And if we're honest, we tend to do the same thing. And so he's guarding against that, saying, don't store up your treasures on earth. Because eventually, you know, when you die, you're not taking anything with you. And so it's that whole sentiment of chasing after God's heart and permanent treasures in heaven instead of temporary wealth here on earth. When he's talking about storing up your treasures in heaven, I think... It also has to do with this idea that the Israelites had or the people of Israel had about storing up good works before God. They had a tendency to try to earn God's favor 
by doing things for him. And so instead, when he's talking about storing up your treasures in heaven, it's not that we do those things to gain favor from God. We do those things out of an overflow of our heart because we've been called to love God and to love others. And that spirit that fills us up spills over and onto other people. In verse 21, when he's talking about where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I think this is something that can really hit home in our modern context as well. You know, there was an exercise my husband and I did, and maybe it's even changed over the last couple of years. The last time we did this, we did it with our checkbook. I can't even tell you where our checkbook is at the moment because we live in this digital age now. But perhaps maybe instead of a checkbook, you would look at your bank statement. But what we did is we went through and we went just we went back one month. We just went through the month and we categorized where all of our spending went. So was it things that the kids needed for school or was it eating out or was it tithing or was it things on Amazon? What were we spending our money on? And when we tallied up all of our extra spending, and I'm not talking about the electric bill or the things that we have to spend like gas money for our car, those kinds of things. When we tallied up all of our extra spending, it was really telling where it went. The majority was was spent on stuff, stuff that we didn't likely need. It wasn't groceries, but just stuff. And then the other half of that majority went towards eating out. And, you know, if we looked at it, the tithe portion of what we gave that month was very minimal compared to what we spent on even eating out. And I think sometimes what we do is we have this tendency to focus on the tithing issue, that 10% that we're giving back to God, but we don't realize how much, maybe 20% or maybe sometimes more we're spending on eating out or buying stuff that we don't need. And so for us, I try to do that a couple of times a year just to keep our hearts in check because where your treasure is, where we're spending our money is a really good indication of where your heart is aligned. And so for us, we use that as just a way to reel it back in, to dial it back in, and to pay attention to what we're spending our finances on. Moving on to verse 22, where it talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. You know, the eye is considered a channel for light because as light leaves the body, it's not taking in light. You know, that's the modern understanding. It's taking in light. But in that context, they understood it as light leaving the body. And so the conclusion there is that the eye is almost like a flashlight. It's lighting up the light of maybe a rock that's in front of you or the path that's in front of you. They understood that to mean that a healthy eye would be illuminating where they were going and an unhealthy eye would be full of darkness. It will be blind. And so just like light and darkness can represent both things spiritually and physically and metaphorically, it can also have this understanding when it comes to the good eye versus the evil eye that we see here. Now, in the ancient world, an evil eye referred to this way of always being jealous of what others had. This It's essentially a way to describe somebody being really greedy. And then a good eye was somebody that was really content and secure and focused on their purpose or God's purpose for their life. And they had this undivided loyalty to God. And so there was a stark difference between an evil eye and a good eye. And so he's talking about how the eye will let into the body whatever it's fixed upon. It's this idea of you steer where you stare. Wherever you look, that's going to affect your thought life and then, of course, your behavior. And so it's talking about how if the eye is a good eye, 
it will be fixed on this good treasure, which is, of course, the things of God. And then the heart will be filled with the light of God's treasure. That's what gives us peace. That's what keeps us from worrying. That's what keeps us from anxiety. And so it's this idea of keeping our eyes fixed on what's good. In verse 24, he talks about serving two masters and the idea of hating one and loving the other. And I mention this just because I think in our context, we would see these as primarily emotional reactions. But in their culture, it was a pattern of life. And so if you hated one, that was the way you patterned your life. And if you love one, that is the way you pattern your life. And so he's talking about, again, behavior here, not just how we feel about something, but how we behave, how we serve a master. Are we exhibiting uh, our treasure is invested in one thing and then not the other? Or are we doing our all of our extra time is going towards something and not the other? He's really addressing behavior here. And then in verse 24, he talks about serving both God and money and how you just can't do it. That word there is mammon. And the way that Jesus talks about money or mammon is he's personifying this idea of wealth and possession as this rival God, the mammon. And so when he talks about the temptation to worship this false god of materialism, essentially, it's because it was a very real problem in that culture. And if we're honest, it still is because the enemy has this history of using the pursuit of wealth and money and the love of money to lead Christians away from God's plan. In verse 25, it's talking about worry. Do not worry about your life. You know, I think sometimes this is a verse that's taken out of context because in some elements, it is natural. It's a human experience to worry a little bit. It's appropriate for us to, let's say, look both ways before crossing the road because that worry or that little bit of healthy fear is what protects us. What he's talking about here is when it goes beyond that. So he's talking about a state of mind where it's this misdirected attention because it's then now this indication that there's a lack of trust in God. That's what he's addressing here. He's not saying don't worry about anything and just trust God for anything because that's not biblical either in the sense that, you know, when we think about how the enemy came and tempted Jesus and the enemy was trying to get Jesus to throw himself off the side of the cliff. Well, if we didn't have any worries, what would be stopping him from just jumping off the cliff? I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a state of mind. And then it goes on to talk about in verse 25 about the practical things of life, like what will you eat? What will you drink? What will you wear? And essentially what he's talking about here is he's making this connection to the daily struggles of life. See, much of their daily routine in that culture was spent trying to get enough supplies just to survive. And so for the poor, it was a very real question of what are we going to eat tomorrow? And for much of the world, it is still that way. Now, if you were blessed to live in the United States or in some of the Western cultures, you probably don't have to have maybe some of that same concern that some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world have. But in this culture, that was a very real thing for them. And it was amplified during that time frame because there was an ongoing threat of things like famine. The famines would happen seasonally there. As an agrarian society, that was a very real threat or things like flooding or fires. Those are things that they had to worry about in that culture. And see, in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, 
there was statuses that we know that's documented throughout history. About 3% of that population at the time was part of the elite, the people that were very, very affluent that did not have to worry at all about money. But that was only 3% of the population. 17% of that population would have been made up of merchants or maybe possibly freed slaves or artists or scribes or military veterans, people that would have had a little bit of security and some open opportunities for moving up within that culture. But the remaining 80% of people, the majority of people, would have lived close to or below the poverty levels. And so when he was talking about not worrying about what you're eating or what you're drinking, that hit hard because the disciples were very likely part of that 80%. I think about that even now with people that are living below poverty levels. And maybe that's even some of us that are listening today. I know in my family, we have experienced that. And it takes an extraordinary measure of faith to trust God in those moments. But what I know is that when we trust God, he shows up in a way that only he can do. In verse 26, he talks about the value we have and the birds of the air and how we have more value than they do. Again, he's going back to this issue of we're not to worry because he cares so much more for us than he does even those animals. And so it says in verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Well, the way that that's written in the Greek and the way that this was expressed was it was actually units of measure. He's talking about the forearm length when it comes to adding a single hour, that the length of, of the forearm would be an actual length. Then the second part of that phrase, it was an actual measure of length of age or maturity translated to single hour. So he's saying by worrying, you can't add any length of your life. You cannot even add a single hour to your life by worrying. And so the better option is to trust God with that. And then verse 30, he talks about the grass of the field. It says it's here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. Well, maybe you don't realize this, and I didn't until I studied it. But at that time frame, they would cut grass when it was green in spring, and they would dry it, and they would bundle it. And then that would become a natural source of fuel for their fire ovens. And so literally... It was here today and green today and tomorrow it was literally thrown in that fire. That was, again, a real world example of this biblical metaphor that he's using to talk about the frailty of the human existence. And so he's saying, you really do not have any other option but to trust me as God, as father, as a good father to take care of you. And to think that we have the false security that comes from wealth. That is such a temporary measure that it's going to be pulled away from us sooner or later. And so how much better than to trust in the everlasting God? And then the final thing I want to address is this idea of little faith. In verse 30, he talks about little faith. And this phrase is actually used five times in the book of Matthew, referring to the disciples. Now, see that he doesn't say lacking faith. He's not saying that they're lacking faith. When he talks about lacking faith, he's talking about unbelievers or sometimes the Jewish leaders. Later, he refers to those in his own hometown. But when he's talking about little faith, he's characterizing the disciples and he's talking about things that they are exhibiting, worry, fear, doubt, perhaps lack of understanding, or even the inability to do what Jesus has already empowered them to do. And I think that gives us some grace. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read that and I understand that, it helps me to understand that none of us really know 
until we're taught. See, the, these are the disciples we're talking about. And think about all the things we know about the disciples and the way that God used them and the impact that they made on the world through his spirit. But they started off in this place of having little faith. And it helps me to understand that spiritual maturity is a process. You can give yourself grace, but we don't stay there. See, this idea of little faith really means that we don't have enough faith yet to do what God has called us to do. And so we have to pursue this idea of spiritual maturity. Well, how do we get there? How do we do that? Well, we continue to grow with God. We continue to be discipled by Jesus. We continue to hear God's voice because it takes faith to do what you were created for. That's the whole point of why we study the scriptures, to grow in our capacity for understanding and living and operating in faith. And then lastly, this note about the pagans, where he talks about the pagans run after all of these things, or sometimes it's translated as the nations. It's this reference to the Gentiles that Matthew often makes, and it's a common way to describe basically non-Jews or other people that are not yet believing in God. And so here what he's doing is he's emphasizing those who are operating outside of God's values, that faith in God's provision will accompany this idea of not worrying. And what this helps us to understand is that as believers, we shouldn't be running after the same things that people of the world run after. And in the same way, we shouldn't have the same fear and anxiety that those of the world have because we have this faith in a God who takes care of us. Our lives should look different than those that don't have that faith in God. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and reread this passage starting at verse 14. It says, for if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your father will not forgive your offenses. Now, when you fast, do not make a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they distort their faces so that they will be noticed by people when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by people, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and well. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then saying, what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what are we to wear for clothing? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father God, help us to recognize that we do not need to worry about tomorrow, that you are a good father and you know the things we need. You know that the things we need to eat, the places we need to go, the clothing we need to wear. God, we trust you with all of those things as we commit our plan and our path to you, Lord God. I pray that you would intervene on our behalf in such a way that we could see evidence of you in our lives. So I pray for my friends today that they would trust you, perhaps for the first time or perhaps in a new way. God, I thank you that you are a provider and that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends, we'll talk tomorrow. Hey, friends, before you go, I want to make sure you know about our Patreon page. The Patreon page is really a place to gain all sorts of resources specifically for the Hearing Jesus podcast and the Hearing Jesus for Kids podcast. There's a specific and dedicated private Facebook group, which is a place for me to interact with you, to pray with you, to answer questions. I'd love it for you to join us there. And there's also another level that gives you the inside scoop on everything else that's going on. The journaling prompts are there. If you've been with us for some time, you know that I usually do journaling prompts that helps us get that information from the head to the heart. We have a downloadable daily prayer prompt that helps you get that information processed in a way that it affects your daily life. There's also a Bible reading tracker on there. There's bonus episodes, lots of things on an ongoing basis, a place where you can get all the resources to help you grow in your faith. And the second thing I want to mention to you is the Dawn app, which if you've never heard of that before, I have good news for you. I just recently recorded a series for the Dawn app and also did some writing for them. And it's a daily Bible study and prayer app that is completely free. The link for that is in the show notes. And then the last thing I'm super excited about, I want to tell you that we're going to start having opportunities for travel. This is going to look a couple different ways, depending on what you're looking for, but it's going to cover things like mission trips in-person retreats, and also eventually a Bible study trip to Rome. What I'm doing right now is I'm getting everybody's contact information so we can start communicating about what that might look like. So if you are interested in any of that, you can head to shehears.org for more information. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.